Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Water, water everywhere, and all the boards did shrink. Water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink. Those lines taken from Samuel Taylor Coleridge's Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner are one of the most famous descriptions of the agony of thirst. Thirst is one of, if not the most primal of our needs. Of all our bodily requirements, the need for adequate fluid is the most urgent, the most pressing. Without food, a healthy adult could survive for a couple of months. We might even, believe it or not, survive without toilet roll. But deprived of drink, we'd be lucky to make it a few days. And we've always known our utter dependence on water. So much so that in early civilizations, people often worshipped river gods. A few years ago, in the chaos which followed Hurricane Katrina, when civil unrest broke out, a general in charge commented, if you keep water from the people, they will tear the city apart just to get a drink. It might be one of our most primal needs, but in 2019 it was estimated that one in four of the world's population lived in what was called extremely high water stress areas. A few years back, a government report from America concluded that water would soon become traded just as oil is now and would become a primary source of war in the future. And it's kind of hard for us to imagine such a shortage of water. We live in an environment where in summer a hosepipe ban is likely to be one of the top items on the news. We have such ready access to it. We, in many parts of our world though, many people travel for miles every day just to fetch water for their family. And over Lent, we have been working our way through the famous last words, the seven sayings made by Jesus from the cross. And I've spoken before about how in our modern age, we've become quite preoccupied with the details of the kind of agony that crucifixion entailed. The Gospels are rather more sparse in that kind of detail. They knew full well what crucifixion meant. It didn't need any elaboration for them. And so of all the physical agonies which they could have singled out, there is only one that is specifically mentioned, and that by John. And we have it in two words in our reading this morning. I thirst. It's hardly surprising that Jesus was thirsty after all he had gone through in the previous 12 hours or so. But of all the things to record, why remember these particular words? 
Well, perhaps it had something to do with the fact that John lived in a culture which questioned whether God could really become a human being, let alone whether God could suffer. And that kind of thinking even infiltrated the church. There were some who suggested that Jesus went through the whole experience of the cross without suffering any pain. Some accounts of the life of Jesus, which never made it into our Bibles, have stories about the disciples talking with the divine Jesus on the Mount of Olives, whilst the human part dies on the cross. And even today, in many faiths, it is quite a shocking thing to say that God should suffer and die. It's a major sticking point for people of a lot of different faiths. But even Christians can somehow make Jesus less than fully human. We struggle, as Christians of all ages have done, have to hold together two ideas of Jesus as completely God and Jesus as completely man. And some kind of air on the humanity of Jesus, to the point where you sometimes wonder, is there anything special about Jesus at all? But others almost make Jesus like Superman, emphasising the gaudy part so much, in ways which make it hard for us to relate to. The word we use for God becoming human is the word incarnation. And in Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which we would sing at a different time of year, we sing the lines, Heal the incarnate deity. But William Willimon, who I've quoted quite a lot in this series, points out that there is something about this that wants to make Jesus God incarnate. We are more comfortable when he's a great teacher of wisdom who says the wisest things anyone has said. We talk freely of our faith as our spiritual life and we keep it separate from the rest of life. And if you read through John's Gospel in a hurry, you would get the impression that the Jesus John describes seems a little bit less earthy than Matthew, Mark and Luke's Jesus. But if you dig a little more closely or deeply, you'll find that John goes to great lengths to emphasise not only the divinity of Jesus, but his very real humanity. When he spoke of God becoming man, he said the word became flesh. And this choice of word flesh rather than man or human was a very specific word. It emphasised the frailty and the vulnerability of human life. And at different points, John emphasises Jesus' humanity, pointing out that at different times Jesus was angry or tired or hungry or filled with grief or sympathy. By highlighting that frailty and vulnerability on the cross, John is reminding us that Jesus retains that full humanity all the way to his death. Still, of all the human feelings to highlight, thirst. Except that for John, water and thirst have played a very central part 
in Jesus' life. Jesus' first miracle had been changing water into wine. When Jesus sat on a well in Samaria, he had spoken to a woman there about something called living water that he alone could give. And he told her that everyone who drinks that water would never thirst. After feeding the 5,000, he said to the crowd, whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. Not long later, in the courts of the temple, he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. So what are we to make of the one who claimed to be the ultimate thirst quencher, declaring, I thirst? Is it an admission of failure that this living water wasn't all it was cracked up to be after all? Or do we see here the lengths Jesus was prepared to go to reach us? That he has utterly poured himself out for us. That he has kept nothing in reserve. He has drained himself to the point of utter dehydration. And he is quite literally parched. In short, in Christ, God's given us all that he's got. He's held nothing back. But there's something else here. John doesn't just mention these words as an aside. He says, knowing that everything had been done so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. John is saying that these words weren't wasted. That they were significant. And there's another way that the Bible uses the idea of thirst. We heard it in one of the songs that we uh, played this morning. When it says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Jesus himself had said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It was an image he was familiar with. And the hunger and thirst he described were not much as much our feeling of being a bit peckish or a bit dry. But more akin to the varieties of hunger and thirst which fill us with tears when we see it on our TV news from other parts of the world. Thirst was an image of deep yearning. And that's what Jesus meant when he blessed those who hungered and thirsted for righteousness. It wasn't that they attained it. They were just people who yearned for the world to be the way God planned it. The way a starving man craves for food or a parched woman craves water. C.S. Lewis once said that many of us, our biggest trouble isn't that we are bad, but that we are too easily satisfied. We don't long 
for things to be different. And when we meet, it's often young people with ideals, we often say things like, <laughs> they'll learn. And we have a derogatory term for such people. We call them fanatics. In some ways, in our culture, it's considered almost immature to eagerly pursue anything. And sometimes I reckon it would be more comfortable to follow Buddha and seek inner peace than follow Jesus. For in these two words, I thirst, we encounter Jesus, the yearner, Jesus, the fanatic. As I reflected earlier in the week, uh, on, I find myself thinking of another story about a good guy who suffers, the story of Job. There's nobody like him in all the earth, and yet in the opening chapters of the story, we see him stripped of all his possessions, his family, and even his own strength. And then the challenge comes to him from his wife. Are you still maintaining your integrity? Or we must say, are you still clinging on to all that? Curse God and die. Well, on the cross, the same challenge comes to Jesus. The challenge to avoid the way of the cross, the way he had begged to be spared. Possessions were not going to be much of an issue for Jesus. He had none. But what little he had left was being divided amongst the troops. That band of brothers with whom he had travelled all those years and shared so much had scarpered at his arrest. One had betrayed him, another had denied even knowing him. As the last of his strength was being drained from him, he gave away the one last earthly relationship he had left, the one with his mother, whom he handed to a disciple. And as he died a death designed to allow the victim to witness the futility of their resistance to the way things were, Jesus faced the same challenge. Was he still going to cling to what had sustained him thus far? Well, in these words, we see Jesus refuse to curse God and die. Rather, he says, I thirst. I thirst for a world to be the way God intended things to be. I thirst for God's relationship with his creation to be restored. I thirst for the forgiveness of those who mock, curse, deny, beat and killed me. I thirst. I thirst. Even at the point where he had realised all it would cost him. This alone was his heart's desire. Do you ever doubt God cares about you? Do you ever reckon that God really wants nothing to do with us? Do you want to see how much God yearns for you? Look no further than the cross where Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, holds nothing back.
Jesus pours himself out for us. And even when he and all he has come to bring to us has been rejected, he still yearns for us. He still yearns for you. And he was prepared to give all that he had and all that he is that is yearning, God's yearning, for us might be satisfied. Grace and peace. Amen.